Thank you for tuning in again to the Rocky Brown Ministries podcast. I am Rocky Brown. Praise God forevermore. Praise God. Praise God. Well, praise the Lord. I am glad to be here today recording this message today. Praise God. It's a beautiful day outside. The Lord has blessed me. He's wonderful to me. Everything that I have comes from the Lord, and I just give him thanks. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Today, the title of the message is The Compassion of Jesus. And so, as I was going through and uh, getting ready for a message a couple weeks back, as a matter of fact, this message that was actually originally uh, preached at our first healing and prayer meeting that we had in Williamsburg, Kentucky, we had a bunch of new equipment and really didn't know how to operate it. And so we didn't really have a means to record the message. We did, but we didn't know how. And so today, on this beautiful Sunday, I am sitting here, and I'm going to go back through this thing, and we're going to re-record this message, and it's called The Compassion of Jesus. And so, anytime that you go to talking about the character or nature of God or the character or nature of the Lord Jesus automatically it seems like everybody wants to try to drag you into this forum discussion about the demonstration of God's wrath. And yet, no one wants to talk about the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So I've come today to talk about, to give, first off, I'm going to give you a defense of the gospel. Praise God. You'll see these stinking silly memes on Facebook that shows this picture of this lion, you know, and it says, well, you know, the gospel's like a lion. You don't have any need to defend it. Just let it loose and let it go, and it'll do its own thing. Well, that's really ridiculous, and that's completely opposite of what the Bible teaches us. So Philippians, check this out. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 1 and 17, and he said that he knew that he was appointed for the defense of the gospel. Well... If Paul was appointed for the defense of the gospel on a big stage, it stands to reason that we are also on smaller stages appointed for the defense of the gospel. Think about this. This is what 1 Peter chapter 3 said. The, the apostle Peter writes this and says in 1 Peter 3 and 15, it says, Sanctify the Lord God in our heart. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks, who, who asks you a reason for the hope that is with is in you with meekness and fear so peter says always be ready to offer up a defense be ready to plead your case for the hope that is in you i love how the apostle paul uh in romans 8 and 38 paul uses this statement he says i am fully persuaded that neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers so on and so forth he says, I was persuaded. Now, that word persuaded is a very interesting word because of the fact that that has to mean that I previously believed one way. I had previous knowledge and information that led me to believe one way. But after receiving overwhelming evidence, I am now persuaded. And then Paul goes into that beautiful, that beautiful 38th verse of Romans chapter 8. So... In this message, let yourself be persuaded. 
Don't be ashamed. If you're just sitting there by yourself listening to this message, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Praise the Lord. The gospel means more than just eternal life. It doesn't it does indeed mean that. It does indeed include that. But it also means healing and preservation and rescue. And sometimes you need healing and preservation and rescue, even in, especially in this life. You're not going to need it so much when you get to heaven. Glory to God. And so, here, here's something that the Holy Spirit said to me about this particular, this particular topic. He said, the compassion of God is put on demonstration through the early earthly work and ministry of, of his holy son Jesus. Wow. So God put his compassion on display through the earthly work and ministry of his holy son Jesus. So sometimes we get things backwards. We believe that, you know, a lot of there's a lot of uh, common theology that's wrong that you know, it kind of teaches that, you know, God the Father is this wrathful, unmerciful God, and he's just wiping things out left and right in the Old Testament. He's destroying things left and right in the Old Testament. And we kind of get this impression that that the Lord Jesus is some kind of teenage kid who's out playing baseball while all of this is going on, and then one day, you know, it's time for him to come, to, come on and, you know, do what Father has has commanded him to do, and then he finally comes and he's born and so on and so forth. But they, the people treat this thing and they act like that Jesus has absolutely no part whatsoever in any way, shape, form, or fashion in this thing until it comes to the New Testament. And that could not be any more wrong. Couldn't be any more wrong. He's the Lord. He's always been Lord. So guess what? It says the Lord God formed Adam in his hand. Well, the Lord God, Jehovah, Elohim, is the two original Hebrew words there. And the Lord God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So we see that that's plural tense. So Elohim, the all-powerful God, that's Father. Jehovah is Jesus. And so while Father's on the throne, Elohim's on the throne, Jehovah's on the earth. And he plants a garden, and then he forms man in his hand. In his hands. And then he breathes the breath of life into him. And it's so important for us to see these things. Because, see, if you don't have the revelation and understanding of God's character and nature and heart, then the whole, then the whole Bible's out of balance. The whole Bible's out of scope. So you've got to understand, God is love. 1 John 4, 8 and 4, 16 says that God is love. He is love. This love is agape. So this is not just a love. This is the love that God is. You might even say it like this. He is the substance that love is. Glory to God. He is love in its purest form and its fullest embodiment. Hallelujah. And so it's important to see that. See? And it's important to see that that as we go through these things and we're looking at this, I want you to see some stuff because there's some very important things that you need to see because 
in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. We come to find out right here that this is the compassion of God put on demonstration. Well, how do I know that? Well, I'm going to show you. So if you've got your Bible with you, flip to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. And starting at verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you. Have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father in me, who dwells in me, he does the works. So Jesus right here says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's a huge statement. That is an amazingly huge statement. Because there's a lot of times that people will try to discredit stuff. You know, well, you can't heal people anymore. When Jesus did it, it was just him just because it was Jesus. Well, Jesus says right here, the words that he spoke, he didn't even speak them on his authority. And as a matter of fact, he says right here, it's not me who does the works, but the Father in me does the works. The Father working through me does the works. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah, because we see a very compassionate and very merciful Savior. Oh, when we read the Gospels, praise God. Hallelujah. And if that's the case, then we're going to have to start changing the way we think about God the Father. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. It says, starting at verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Now, there's a, there's a statement right here I want you to see. The words, the three English words, the express image, are three English words translated from the singular Greek word character. Strong's number 5481. And this means a stamped figure, an exact copy. The exact expression or image of any person or thing. A precise reproduction in every aspect. So when we look at the ministry and the earthly presence, of the Lord Jesus, we see an exact replication of the Father in every way. Well, why is it important to know this? Well, because Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, guess what? If Jesus is the express image and likeness of the Father, 
if he's the exact reproduction of the Father in every way, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then that means God the Father is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. If Jesus doesn't change, then God doesn't change. Mm, that's so important. That's important to get a hold of. Glory to God. Because understanding the character and nature of God is going to determine how you receive things from Him. Mm. I do believe it was T.L. Osborne said that it is impossible to boldly claim by faith a promise that you are unsure that God is making. As a matter of fact, I correct myself right there, and I think that it was F.F. F. Bosworth who said that. Let me repeat that again. It is impossible to boldly claim by faith a promise that you are unsure that God is making. Well, if you need healing and you're unsure that it's His will to heal you, you may or may not get it. Until you move over into faith or something happens, someone the Lord sends someone to you, you may not get it. And so I want you to see, I say I had to lay all that down right there. I had to lay all that down so that, bless God, you can see that everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, was exactly what the Father himself would do if he was here on the earth. Jesus was not disobedient to his Father in any way, in any shape, or any fashion. Now you see that in the temptation in the wilderness, Satan tried to get Jesus to be disobedient to the will of his Father by doing that in which was opposite of what the Father had sent him to do. Jesus was not disobedient in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He was obedient even to the point of death and even the death of the cross. Philippians chapter 2 says. And because of that, God has given him the name, has highly exalted him, and given him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, oh, Shebaha, oh, Shebaha, that at the name of Jesus, <laughs> every knee in heaven, every knee on the earth, and every knee under the earth will bow, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To what? To the glory of God the Father. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. That's perfect obedience. The Master performed perfect obedience to His Father. So everything that we see Jesus do, everything that we see Jesus say, is in perfect 150% perfect obedience to the will of his Father. And in doing so, Jesus said, I'm just here going and doing the things that he's told me to do because when I get places, I speak the word that he speaks and he does the works. Glory to God. That's perfect obedience. That's how Father works so mightily through him. Glory to God. Why is it important? Because you need to see this. <laughs> If you're going to understand the compassion of Jesus, praise God, then you're going to have to understand the compassion of God because they are inseparable. Jesus is an exact replication of the Father in every way, shape, form, or fashion. Now I want you to see this. Look at, if you've got your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. It says, And Jesus went out. He saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion 
and heal their sick. So Jesus goes out. He's moved with compassion. Once he looked, he saw a great multitude of sick people. He saw a great multitude of people all together. And he was moved with compassion. Praise God, he was moved with compassion. That's super important. He was moved with compassion and healed their sick. Now I want you to turn, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And we're going to read verses 40 and 41. Because you might say to me, well, you know, God was probably just, you know, Jesus was just moved to compassion because he saw all those people and all those sick people, you know. And, but here we are, just a few people. Or here we are, just even just one person. And, you know, the Lord probably not very probably not very moved by the fact that there's just one person. But I want to show you this. It says, Mark chapter 1, verse 40 and, verses 40 and 41. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him or begging him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. Well, guess what? Glory to God. Jesus said, the words I speak, they're not on my authority. So guess what? The Father sitting on the throne said, I am willing. And it says Jesus was moved with compassion. Well, if Jesus can be moved with compassion, God the Father can be moved with compassion. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And if they never change, if Jesus never changes, we've established that, the Word says He doesn't change. And if He's an exact replication of God the Father in every shape, form, and fashion, then that means God the Father never changes. So you know what? If 2,000 years ago, if he could look upon a great multitude of sick people and be moved with compassion and heal the sick, praise God, he can be moved to it today. If one sick person can come and fall down toward before him and beg him and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he can be moved with compassion then, 2,000 years ago, praise God, he can be moved with compassion today. Glory to God. That's got to be the fact of the matter because that's what the Bible says. It's got to be. But what does compassion mean? It means to be moved all the way to one seat of love and pity. Move to what? Move to help. You said you didn't, you didn't see Jesus pat that leper on the head and then leave him sitting there, did you? Come on. We got people out there that are preaching a cold version of Jesus. We got preachers out there and pastors and teachers who are either ignorant or dishonest or probably both, and they're preaching a jaded version of God the Father. They have the Word, but they don't have revelation. They have information, but they don't have revelation. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You will never see the true heart and the true nature of God in your spirit as revelation for what it is until you are baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
You can have some great motivational preachers. You can have some great motivational speakers. They can preach to the cross. They can preach to the tomb. They can give you lessons on life. Be good people. But until information becomes revelation, they will continue to preach a lesser version of Jesus than what is really there. They will continue to preach a lesser version of God the Father than what's really there. And they will continue to preach self-defeating doctrines that leave their people and themselves and their families subject to pray, subject as prey to the devil. Mm. I'm going to tell you something right now. I've seen Jesus move to compassion, and he's helped me. I've seen God move to compassion, and he's helped me. Commonly, for those of you that know me, you know that I'm uh, traditionally not very silent about things most of the time, especially if it comes to uh, a defense of the gospel. And so I like to tell these folks, uh, these religious folk around here that believe that healing's not for today and, you know, the miracles are not for today and the signs and wonders are not for today and the gifts of the Spirit are not for today and the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not for today. I like to tell them that the very first miracle that I ever saw God work was He raised my daughter from the dead and I was a lost man. And that's the truth. That is absolutely the truth. December the 11th, 2006, my ex-wife came to me and said, Guess what? We are going to have a baby. And I was really, really, really not very excited about that because we were struggling to pay the bills already. And how were we going to afford another child. I had my oldest daughter, Ashley, who would have been about four at the time, and then I had my stepdaughter, Jamie, who would have been probably somewhere around, oh, three at the time, maybe a little. No, she was a little older than that. Jamie was probably five, and Ashley was probably six. And so I spent two weeks being worried and upset and all these different things about what in the world, how are we going to pay for this? And so, you know, I realized that not one time was I ever, did I ever, uh, did I ever come across as being happy about this. And, you know, because I was too worried about how we're going to pay for things. Well, December the 29th of 2006, I came home from work at W.D. Bryan's one evening. And it was about 6 o'clock in the evening. And I came in the house, and Leanne was sitting in this, what we called the pool room. And she was sitting there on the floor weeping. And of course, you know, I had no earthly idea that what was going on. So I come to find out that the doctors had just, she had just got off the phone with the doctors, and the doctors had said that all of her levels had dropped back down to nothing and that there was no baby, that we had lost the baby. And I remember feeling horrible because I had spent all this time 
worried about how I was going to pay for it and I hadn't spent not even really the first minute being happy about it. And so I remember just really not sleeping well that night and and just having a really bad night and, and, and it was a really bad night and and the next morning I was driving to work and uh, I was heading northbound on 25 and I was about halfway between Jellicoe and Williamsburg at a little old place called Slate Cut, if anybody hears this and knows where that's at, Slate Cut, about a quarter of a mile south of Jerry Jarbo's house. And I started to cry, and I, you know, I wasn't saved. I had been to church maybe a handful of times in my life. My grandma retook me. You know, I went to the altar one time because I was scared of going to hell, but I didn't really understand what any of it was about and then never was baptized or anything else and then got way off track long, not long after that. And so, and I just told God, I said, you know, I said, I don't know anything about you. I said, I don't, but if you're real and you can help me, I said, I promise you, I give you my word, I'll do whatever it takes to get right with you. Whatever it takes to get right with you, that's what I'll do. And so I went on to work, and then a couple of days after that, we went to the doctor's office in Jellicoe. I can't think of the name of it now, but it's right there across from the Jellicoe Elementary School. But we went to the doctor's office and to do the DNC. And... In them doing the D to do an ultrasound to figure out what they had to do for the DNC, the doctor found a heartbeat. And we were blown away because we were not expecting that to be the answer in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And so then, a few months after that, Cheyenne was born. I say a few months, but. In the course of time, of course, you understand, it was right around, uh, well, she was excited to be here, so it was probably about seven, almost eight months after that she got here a few weeks early. And she was so excited to be here that she spent, I do believe, that it was nine days in the NICU, the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit at Children's Hospital in Knoxville, Tennessee. If anybody out here... Uh, here's this podcast, and you were the helping there at that time, then I want to thank you because they were absolutely phenomenal to us. They were absolutely phenomenal to Cheyenne. And so, but what happened? Well, I just fell right in on the compassion side of Jesus. I just pleaded. I said, I, I don't even know you, but if you can help me, please help me. Right? And I'll do whatever it takes to get right with you. And I've got another story that I want to share with you. But I'm going to share it with you after I read you this scripture. So you got to understand, there, this is important. This is important to see the compassion of God. This is important to see the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you will see this, then you will know that if they could be moved to compassion then, they're still able to be moved to compassion today. See, it's this thing that we treat God like he's this emotionless uh, statue sitting up in heaven just shooting out lightning bolts, killing people. And it couldn't be further from the tr truth. We have emotions because God has emotions. 
we have feelings because God has feelings. We were made in their image and in their likeness. We talked about that a little bit earlier. God gave you your emotions to help you navigate this world. He never intended for you to be ruled by them. He's not ruled by his emotions. But he can still be moved to compassion. Praise God. The Lord Jesus can still be moved to compassion. And so I want you to look. Here's an excellent, here is an absolute beautiful example of this. And if you got your Bible, go to Mark chapter 9. And I'm going to start reading at verse 14. And it says, And when he came to the disciples, now let me stop right there. You've got to understand something. Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. So he's not in this crowd. You're going to find that out. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, running to him greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. They brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, when the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell down on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him into the, both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now let me lay some points. By, let me lay this out point by point. Jesus and James and John and Peter are up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, you have to understand something. This man has traveled with his demon-possessed son. to the last area, the last known area that he has heard where Jesus is. Now, if you look in the Greek, the terminology, you look at the, uh, you know, you look at the, the wordings here, and this is going to give you a, uh, this is going to give you kind of a general scope that this boy at this age is probably somewhere between 10 to 12 years old, maybe a little older than that, maybe a little younger. So you've got a swing of maybe 9 to 14 here. So, this man 
in hopes that he can get his son to Jesus because he has heard about the miracles that Jesus is working. He's heard about the things that God is doing through this man in hopes to get his son to Jesus. He gets there to the area where Jesus is and nowhere is Jesus to be found. Jesus is nowhere to be found. And not only is Jesus nowhere to be found, but his top three disciples, what we may call the A-team, they're nowhere to be found either. So this man gets there, and he's with the nine. We hate to use the term lesser, but they were. The nine lesser disciples. And they can't do anything. And because they can't do anything, now there's a fight going on. And they're arguing and they're disputing. Think about how hopeless that was for the father when he finally fight tracks the region, the area down where Jesus is. And he comes and Jesus isn't there. There's no Jesus. And not only is there no Jesus, there's no James, there's no John, and there's no Peter. But just at the last moment, Probably the crowd's about to break up. The man's about to lose all hope. Because, see, you've got to understand, this thing's been trying to kill this kid since he was born, since he was, a, since he was a young child. This tells you there that you would look in that in the Greek and the age the terminology there would be toddler, really. So from a toddler, this demon has been attacking this child and trying to destroy him and throw him into the fire and throw him into the water. You know what that means? This child has to have 24-hour care, round-the-clock care. He can't be left by himself for a minute because if there's an opportunity, the devil's going to kill him. This demon's going to kill him. And they've been fighting this for years. And just about the time that this man's about to lose hope that there's nothing else that can be done, guess what happens? <laughs> in walks the master. Just a, this, the timing on this, folks, was perfect. Make no mistake, God is perfect. Jesus is perfect. And his coming upon this situation was right at the time, I believe personally, that this man was about to lose all hope and give up. Because nothing could be done. Now see, look at the look what happens here though. See, he Jesus asks him, How long has this been happening to him? Now what's the man say? He says, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Well, praise God, that man just jumped both feet right in on the compassion side of Jesus. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. He just jumped right in on the compact both feet, right on the compassion side of God. And praise God, that's the best place to start. But see, that's not the only smart thing that the man did because Jesus responded and he says to him, it's not really, it's if, if you can believe, all things are possible. So he's telling him, it's not if I can do anything to help you, can you believe? Now I'm going to tell you something right here. This man right here makes a statement that every Christian person that's in the fight of faith and are struggling should make. But do not make, because I'm going to tell you something, folks. Most Christian people are not honest with themselves, they're not honest with God, and they're not honest with the people around them. 
That's just the way it is. What's he say? He says, Lord, I believe some. Help my unbelief. Praise God. Help my unbelief. Well, that's a really good place to start. That's a really good place to be. Lord, I believe a little bit. I believe your Lord. I tried to demonstrate that to you, Lord. I brought my son. I'm trying, Lord. I don't know what else to do in my own life. I have seen my children attacked by the devil, and it's horrible. My, well, she's seven now, my seven-year-old Abigail, she was given a preliminary diagnosis of autism about three days, two or three days before Christmas of 2000. And 14, 2013, And once the doctors gave her that preliminary diagnosis, then the then the floodgates open, and now there's all these things. Well, you know what? We think this wrong. This is wrong with her brain, and we think this is wrong. She's got this genetic disorder, and there's this wrong and that wrong. See, at two, Abby was nonverbal, and at two, Abby didn't walk. And the doctor that we were taking her to, you know, they just kept telling us, well, you know, she'll just walk when she wants to, and she'll just talk when she wants to, you know. And, and we were, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess we knew something was wrong, but maybe we didn't want to admit it. Maybe I could say that that was in my own heart. You know, maybe I knew something was wrong. The Holy Spirit was trying to prompt me that something was wrong, and I didn't want to admit it. But so through all of this, right, now we're doing all these tests and all this different stuff. And so you've got to understand, Abby's being tormented day and night. But we can't take her to Walmart because the crowd's scary and she'll scream out loud. People can't, new people can't talk to her because she'll scream in terror. She doesn't sleep. She'll wake up in the middle of the night, multiple times a night, screaming and crying in terror. We lived that for a long time. It got so bad that I slept with her every night. And I remember, you know, every time that, uh, that faith would triumph over something, the enemy would have another thing, right, right, another attack right behind it. Boom, boom, boom. And so I started studying the scriptures day and night. I seen in the scriptures that Jesus did these things. I seen in the scriptures that Jesus healed these type of things. And yet, <laughs> and yet, I couldn't do anything to help her. And that's a horrible feeling. But I'm going to tell you something. I refused this. I absolutely refused to back down. And I studied the scriptures day and night. And there was a point where it was just me and Michael in faith. My friend Michael Mays and my friend Vernon Moses. It was just me and Vernon and Michael in faith. And everybody around us trying to convince us that, well, you know, it's just God's will for her to be this way, and he's just created her this way, and, you know, she's just, you know, this is just God's will, and so on and so forth. And I'm going to tell you something right now. If you're out there struggling with sickness and disease, or if you've got a child that's struggling with sickness or disease, and you're buying that hook, line, and sinker, that's a lie. 
That's a lie. Don't buy that. Don't believe that. If you think this is from God, you won't refuse it. You won't take the word up and stand against it. Praise God. I remember the night that I had revelation on the fact that it wasn't God's will for her to be this way and that he was going to set her free. Praise God. And I can prove it to you, right? In the Bible, I was sitting there reading one night, studying the scriptures. And I never forget it. I was sitting in a brown recliner. And when the light came on, I knew, I knew I had his word on it that he wanted her to be well. And here was the word. This is John chapter 9. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now sometimes I wonder if the Lord looks at them, looked at them and is like, Well, do you realize what you just said? You bunch of knuckleheads. And he probably looks at me the same way. Neither Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Then he walks over there and heals the man. Once I knew that she had been allowed to be this way, so that the works of God could be revealed in her, praise God, I knew I had his word on it. And once I had his word on it, I, now it was time to get it going. And so you know what happened? He started leading me to this place. He led me up to the uh, up to Life Church in Corbin, Kentucky, to sit under teaching from Pastor Chris Romine, who started teaching a completely different message than anything I'd ever heard before. And at first, I got mad about it because I thought, "Who is this guy teaching this type of stuff? This is as arrogant as it could be." And then, really, the Holy Spirit corrected me and showed me that he was preaching the Bible. Hallelujah! And it was step by step. See, it was listening to Pastor Chris, which got me listening to Pastor Mark Hankins. Who's a rowdy type? Who's a rowdy type pastor? And man, he ain't taking he ain't taking nothing off the devil. Praise the Lord. Which led me, and then listening to Pastor Chris and Pastor Mark led me to listening to Brother Kenneth E. Hagan. And I'm gonna tell you something. Had the Lord not systematically, step by step, led me on that path, and had I not followed that, Abigail would still be bound by the devil today, in which she's not. As a matter of fact, on the day of this recording, she's happy and healthy, running and jumping and playing and has a full dialogue and goes to school and has very, very few issues. Praise God. And we're still working on those some of those a little bit of issues. But she tried two new foods yesterday. Hallelujah. She's not a big, she's not a big uh, eater. But she tried apples or she tried bananas yesterday. And she tried oranges yesterday. Praise God, she liked both of them. Now, I've had to lay hands on that child many times. Praise God. And the power of God flow through me into her. So, you know, don't mistake the fact that Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, he said, these signs will follow those who believe. Semicolon. In my name, they'll cast out devils. In my name, they'll speak with new tongues. In my name, if they drink anything deadly. In my name, they'll take up servants. And he said, in my name, they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Well, you ever notice that Jesus didn't say just do it one time. See, I can prove that to you in the Scripture. Jesus had to do it himself twice. And he was filled with the Spirit beyond measure. You remember that? You recall that? He laid hands on the blind man. Laid hands on him. Said, what do you see? And the man said, I see uh, people that look like trees. Jesus had to lay hands on him again. So you lay hands on if you're if you're out there right now and you hear this, you've got a child that's sick, you've got a loved one that's sick, you've got a spouse that's sick, whatever else, you lay hands on them regularly. Glory to God. 
Hallelujah. You know why? Because the supernatural power of God will flow through you into them. Rick Renner did a beautiful job when he talked about the, the healing ministry of Jesus, and he pointed out, Rick pointed out, Brother Rick pointed out in the fact that 90% of the time in the Greek New Testament, when you see that word that Jesus healed them, it's translated from the Greek word therapeo. And that sounds just like the English word therapy, which means it's a process sometimes. Lay hands on them all the time, praise God. Believe, believing that the power of the Most High God will flow through you into the person that you're laying hands on. I recall one day we had weathered a barrage of doctor's reports and going here and going there and so on and so forth and, and all this hardship. And, you know, I knew the devil was going to kill her if, if he had the chance. He told me. He said, I'm going to kill her. Mm. I knew if he had the chance, he'd kill her. And I studied the scriptures day and night. And I pleaded with the Lord day and night. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You don't know how many times that something came up. And I pled with the Lord. And I said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. See, I remember that. See, the Holy Spirit recorded that in my spirit. I heard a man by the name of, an African man by the name of Johann Brewer preach that message probably almost 10 years ago at the Green Street Church of God and recalled to myself the fact that how would I ever deal with something like that if something like that was to happen to one of my children? And I can remember Johann and that strong African voice saying, the man cried out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm going to tell you something. That's a real good place to start. If you don't know what to do, and you, you know what? Just cry out and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Have compassion upon me, Lord. I don't know what to do. I came home one day in that house uh, on lunch, which was odd that there was nobody there during work. I came home one day, and I sat down in the dining room at a kitchen table that I had built. And the house that we had was split level, and so I sat down at the table, and I was looking out a set of patio doors, and the kitchen was on my right, and the the, the house, was, like I said, was a split level, so the split level side was on my left, and there was steps going down to the basement and steps that went up to a big living room and two bedrooms, and I sat there, and I just, I was so tired, so wore out spiritually. I had no earthly idea what to do, and I just cried. And I said, Lord, I've done everything I know to do. I don't have any earthly idea what else to do, Lord. I don't know what else to do. I said, I'm so tired, Lord. And I'm so scared. And then I had a vision. I looked to my left, and in the spirit, I saw about a 18 or a 20-year-old version of Abby come bouncing down those stairs. And she had, Abby's got real long, pretty brown hair anyway. And I saw Abby with her hair pulled back. Just as, oh, she was beautiful. <laughs> All my daughters are beautiful. Glory to God. My boy is beautiful. And I said, I looked. And she come. She come bouncing down those stairs, real energetic. Hallelujah. And she stopped at that table and she said, smiled real big and pretty. And she said, hi, Dad. 
And then she turned, she went bouncing down those basement steps. And boy, I'm going to tell you what, <laughs> I knew I had it. I knew she was going to be okay. I knew she was going to be okay. You have got to jump both feet and put your entire heart and soul into jumping into the compassion side of God. You have got to jump both feet and put all your heart and soul into jumping full on, giving it everything you got, jumping into the compassion side of Jesus. I proved to you right here. I proved to you that Jesus is the exact replicant of the Father. I proved to you that it's not every word that Jesus spoke wasn't on his authority. I've proved to you that every work that Jesus did wasn't even Jesus himself doing it, but the Father working through him because of his perfect obedience. I've proved to you that Jesus Christ never changes yesterday today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I've proved to you the fact that if Jesus never changes and he's an exact replication of the Father, reproduction of the Father in every shape, form, and fashion, then that means the Father doesn't change. I showed you that he could be moved to compassion, seeing a great multitude and healing their sick. I've proved to you that he could be moved with compassion with just one person. It's not hard to move God to compassion. It's not hard to move the Lord Jesus to compassion because they are. That's who they are. See, we have to be moved to compassion. They're always compassionate. So it's pretty easy to move them over into compassion. Praise God. They are the origin of compassion. So it's pretty easy to move them there. Hallelujah. If we'll be honest and we'll be open and we'll be obedient, it is extremely easy to move them with compassion. It's extremely easy to get them to move mightily on behalf of those who need them to move mightily. I want to call to your attention just one more scripture and then I am going to end this thing. If you go to Mark chapter 5, and the Holy Spirit is actually the one that recalled this to my attention because I did not even remember to bring this up the first time that I preached this message. But if you'll notice, the madman of Gadara, he is demon-possessed with 6,000 demons. And after Jesus casts the demons out, it says that uh, as he's getting ready to leave, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion upon you. So you know what? I'm going to challenge you. If the Lord's moved mightily for you, if then go tell your friends. Tell this world about what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion upon you. I want to thank you for listening. If you would like to uh, donate to the ministry, you can contact me via email at rockybrown242 at gmail.com. I encourage you to check us out on the web. We're big, I'm a big shot now, I feel like. I've got my own website, and you can. the website address is rockybrownministries.com all one word you can check us out on facebook rocky brown ministries 
and you can find us in iTunes, uh, Rocky Brown Ministries, by searching Rocky Brown Ministries, you can find the, the link to the podcast, and I'm just thankful for you, thank you for tuning in, and I really, really hope that this has helped you. Be blessed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.